Chapter Six of the Gray Man. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rick Vina. The Gray Man by S. R. Crockett. Chapter Six. The Crown of the Causeway. I rode forth from Edinburgh town with infinite glee and assurance of spirit. No longer could I be slighted as a boy, for that day I, even I, Lancelot Kennedy, had been put to the horn, that is, I had been proclaimed rebel and outlaw at the cross of Edinburgh with three blasts of the king's horn. Against John, Earl of Cassilis, Sir Thomas of Culain, called the tutor of Cassilis, and Lancelot Kennedy, his esquire. So had run the proclamation. I wondered what that unkempt, ill-tongued lassie Nell Kennedy would say to this, but the owner itself, even she could not gainsay. It is true that there were others forfaulted as well as I, the earl himself that was a sitter in the king's council board, Sir Thomas, my master, and indeed all that had any hand in the great contest in the high street of Edinburgh. How close had every leal burgess kept within doors that day, and how briskly screamed for the watch, how the town guards sequestered themselves safe behind bars, and were very quiet, for there was hardly a man to be seen from the castle to Holyrood House that was not a Kennedy, and trying to kill some other Kennedy, as indeed is ever the way with our name and clan. We of Cassilis had ridden hot foot to Edinburgh to denounce the Burgundy faction to the king in the matter of the treasure and the killing of Black Peter. Not that we knew for certain that it was Burgundy who had any hand in the murder and raving, but it was necessary to make a bold face for it, and at all events we knew that the thing had been done in Burgundy's interests. So we went, all prepared to declare that the active criminal was Burgundy's brother, Thomas of Dramurchi, a bold and desperate villain, who had been outlawed for years for many a crime besides murder in all its degrees. Also, we hoped that if the king were in a good humour towards us of Cassilis, who were always the men of loyalty and peace, he might even attaint Burgundy himself, so that our earl, being the barely or chief ruler of Carrick under the king, might get his will of his house foe, and thus put an end to the quarrel. For there was no other hope of peace, save that our enemies should be laid waste. 
but we found King James in aught but a yielding mood. The ministers of Edinburgh, and in especial one Mr. Robert Bruce, a man of very great note, and once a prime favourite with the king, had been setting themselves against his will. So at first we got little satisfaction, and it did not help matters that, on the second day of our visit, the Borgany Kennedys and Moors rode into the town in force, all sturdy men from the landward parts of Carrick, while we were mostly slighter and limberer lads from the side of it that looks towards the sea. The next day, as I went down the cannon gate with the gold lilies of Cassilis on my cocked bonnet, I declare that nearly every third man I met was a burgundy lout, swaggering with his silly favour of red and white in his cap. But for all that, I ruffled it right bravely in despite of them all, letting no man cock his feather at me. For I had a way, which I found exceedingly irritating to them, of turning the skirt or my blue French cloak over my shoulder when I met one of the other faction, as if I feared defilement from the contact of their very garments. This I did with all of the underlings, I, even with the Muir of Cloncaird. Indeed, I had already had my long sword three times out of its sheath by the time I got to the guard-house at Holyrood. It was just there that I met young Bargany himself, coming direct from the king's presence. But I practised my pleasantry not with him, for a more kingly-looking man did I never see, far beyond our earl, shame be to me for saying such a thing. And indeed, before any man that ever I saw. But Gilbert Kennedy of Bargany was the bravest man that was to be gotten in any land, as all men that saw him in his flower do to this day admit, and hearts were like water before him. He was of his stature, tall and well-made, with a complexion black but comely, noble on horseback, and a master both of arms and at all pastimes. And when I beheld him, it came upon me to salute him, which, though I had small intention thereof till I saw him, I did. It was with some surprise, perceiving, no doubt, the earl's colours, that he returned my greeting, and that very graciously. The moment after I looked about me, and right glad I was to observe that none of our folk had been in the place before the palace to observe my salutation. After this, we of Cassilis went in parties of three or four, and our swords were in our hands all the day, in spite of the watch, ay, in spite even of the king's guard, which his majesty had sent to keep the peace, when he himself had gone off to Linlithgow in the sulks, as at this time was oft his silly wont. For me, I went chiefly with Sir Thomas, my master, as was my duty, 
but being allowed to choose my companion, I chose Hugh from Kirimor, which marches with mine own home of Kiriok on Minnoch's side. Hugh was the strongest man in all Carrick, and had joined the command chiefly for the love of me, because he had once herded sheep for us, and my mother had been kind to him and given him new milk instead of skim for his porridge. And I warrant you, when the two of us took the crown of the causeway, we stepped aside for no man, not even for Bargany and his brother Dramurchi, had we seen them, which by good luck we never did. But others we saw in plenty. It was Bargany thieves, castleless cairds, as we cried one to the other across the street. And next moment there we were, ruffling and strutting like gamecocks, foot to foot in the midst of the causeway, neither willing to give way. Then, give them iron, would be the cry, and in a clapping of hands, there would be as pretty a fight as one might wish to see, till, behold, in a glyph, there on the cobblestones was a man stretched and all workmanly completed from beginning to end, while the clock of St. Giles was jangling the hour of noon. For the matter of the killing of Black Peter, and the way that Lassie, his daughter, held his head as she washed him, abode with us, and made our hearts hot against the bargainies, that is, the hearts of the younger of us. For I wot well that the elders thought more of the lost box of treasure than of many men's lives far more famous and necessary than that of poor Black Peter, who died in his duty at the house door of the Red Moss, and that is not at all an ill death to die. But there came a day when the ill blood drew to a head. It was bound to come, because for weeks the two factions of us Kennedys had been itching to fly at each other's throats. The Burgundies mostly lodged together in the lower parts of the town, beneath the nether bough, in order to keep us away from the king when he was at Holyrood House, and also to be near the haunts of those loose characters of the baser sort, with whom, as was natural, they chiefly consorted. We, on our part, dwelled in the upper portion of the town, in the well-aired lawn market, and in the fashionable closes about the bowhead. For none of us, so far as I knew, desired to mix or to mell with loose company, save, and it might be, the earl himself, that being the custom and privilege of the nobility, as Morton said to his layman, when he wished to change her for another. Now we had among us of our company one Patrick Wishart, an indweller in Irvine and a good fighter. He was an Edinburgh man born and knew all the town, every lane and street, every bend and bow, every close and pend and turning in it. He also knew that which was even more valuable, 
where the king's guard were, and how to shut them up till we had done our needs upon our foes. He was well advised besides, where each of the leaders among the bargainies dwelt. On the day appointed, the earl gave us all a meeting place by the back of St. Giles High Kirk, beneath the wall of the toll booth, and there we mustered at ten of the clock, one gay morning. It was a windy day, in spite of the sun, the airs blew shrewdly from the eastern sea, as is their use and wont all the year in the high street of Edinburgh. Now our young earl had ever plenty of silver, though afterward he parted with it but seldom. Yet for the furtherance of his cause, he had spent it lavishly during these days in Edinburgh, so that all the common orders in our upper part of the town held him to be the greatest man and the best that ever lived. And as for the vices he showed, they were easy, popular ones, such as common folk readily excuse and even approve in the great, as women, wine, and such like. So as we swung down the street, all the windows of the armorer's shops and the booths about the kirk of St. Giles were opened, and as many as desired it were supplied with spears and pikes and long-handled highland axes, each with a grappling-hook at the back, such like as had brought many a good knight down at the Red Harlow. And these were, afterwards, a great advantage to us, for though we were much fewer in numbers, yet we had longer weapons of assault, and also the upper side of the street to fight from. Then we sallied forth, crying, Ah, Kennedy! And the streets were lined to see us go by, many a douce burgher's wife, knowing our good intentions, and our not accompanying it with the riotous travellers of the town, but rather when we could compass it with honest, sonsy women, giving us her blessing from an upper window. Patrick Wishart advised that we should stop up all the alleys and closes as far down as the Blackfriars wind with barricados of carts, barrels, and puncheons to prevent the enemy sallying forth upon us from behind. It was a good thought, and but for a foe without, whom we knew not how to reckon with, it had been completely successful. Down by the nether bow, where the street narrows, was the place where we first saw the misleared bargainy faction drawn across the street to resist us and contemn the king's authority. When we observed them, we gave a mighty shout and heaved our weapons into the air that they might see the excellence of our arming. They sent a shout back again, and I saw in front of their array Bargany himself with a cask on his head, the sun glinting the while on a steel cuirass which covered him back and front. Then I gave the word to blow up the matches, for by this time I was well kenned for a good soldier, 
and proper marksmen, and had by my lord himself been put over the hackbutmen, which was a great honour for one so young. Thus we advanced to the onset, but first my lord of Cassilis, going to the front, cried to Kennedy of Bargany to know why he withstood him in the highway of the king's principal town. Because ye have lied concerning me to the king, because ye have slain my men, hated my race, and sought to bring me to my death, answered back young Bargany in a clear, high voice. Ye lie, man, have at you with the sword, cried our earl, who was never a great man with his tongue, though sometimes masterful enough with his hands. So with that, I gave the order, and our hackbutt men shot off their pieces, so that more than one of the wearers of the red and white fell headlong. Ah, Kennedy! Ah, Kennedy! cried the earl. To it, my lads! And in a moment we were on them. By instinct we had dropped our matchlocks and taken to the steel, so that the first thing that I knew I was at Thomas of Dramurchi's throat with my borrowed pike. He roared an oath, and leaping to the side, he struck the shaft with his two-handed sword, which shore the point off near to my upper grip, and there is little doubt but that I had been spent ere I could have drawn my sword, had not Hugh of Kirimore brought his broadsword down upon the steel cap of the wolf of Dramurchi, so that with the mighty blow he was beaten to the ground, and being senseless, men trampled upon him as the battle swayed to and fro. Yet I have never forgotten that, but for Hugh, I was that day almost sped, which should have been a lesson to me not to trust to a weapon of which I had no skill even though it might be an ell longer in the haft than my sword. Also I was thankful to God. A Kennedy, a Kennedy, cried we. We are driving them. They give back. For we felt the downward push upon the hill slope, and that gave us courage. And the crying of Burgundy was almost silenced, for now the wearers of the butcher's colours had enough to do to keep stakes with us, with their faces, breast to the bray, and so needed all their breath. By this time I had my arm cleared and my sword out, and certes, but the fray was brisk. Now when it is hand to hand, I fear no man. Once I had a chance of paying my score in the matter of Dramurchi, for as I passed over him, he cut upwards at me with a knife, but I spared only long enough from the man I was engaging at the time, who indeed was no swordsman, or I dared not have done it, to slash the wolf across the wrist, which, I am given to believe, has troubled his sword-hand all his life, and for no more than this he has borne me a grudge unto this day so malicious and revengeful are some men, 
thus we drove the Burgundy faction into the cannon gate in spite of the swordsmanship of their chief, who fought ever in the forefront. It was indeed all over with them, when suddenly from behind us there came rushing a rabblement of men with weapons in their hands, all crying, Burgundy! Able-bodied scoundrels, with long hair and pallid faces they were, and they laid about them with desperate vigour. Now, it is no wonder that this was a terrible surprise to us, and hearing their cry, the broken burgundy folk down the streets and closes took heart of grace to have at us again. We were not discouraged, but part of us faced about so as to fight with our backs set one to the other. Nevertheless, I saw at once that unless some help came, we were overpowered. Into the lanes, I cried, though indeed I had no right to give an order, but in the pinch of necessity, it is he who sees that should lead. So into one of the narrow lanes which led to the ford, and down by the stepping stones across the Nor Loch we ran, but not in the way of a rout. Rather, we retreated orderly and slow, withdrawing, grieved at heart, to think that we had to leave so many of our sick and wounded behind us. Yet, because of the love they bore us as peaceable men, we knew that the town's dames would succour them. Also, lest we should be bloodily revenged on their husbands when we came back, if they did not. At the edge of the Nor Loch, six or seven of us made a rally, and having wounded and captured one of the long-haired desperados, whose assault had turned the tables against Cassilis, we brought him with us, thinking that my lord might wish to question him with the Pilniwinks. Now, not many of the Burgundy faction pursued, some because they knew not whither we were gone, some because both their chief and the wolf of Dermurchi were hurt, and others again because the rabble which had fallen on our rear, not knowing one party from another, had turned their weapons upon their friends. Nevertheless, it was a patent fact that we, good men of Cassilis, had been baffled and put to shame by the thieves of Burgundy in the open high street of Edinburgh. It has not happened to many to be victorious and pursuing, and again broken and defeated, all within the space of half an hour. When we were safe from pursuit on the other side of the Nor Loch, we questioned the varlet whom I and others had captured as to what was his quarrel against us. Nothing, he said. I and the others were lying in the toll booth when suddenly the gates were opened, and there stood one at the door, clad in grey, who gave a sword or a pike to each man, as well as a piece of gold, telling us that there were other ten of the same, awaiting each good striker who should fall on 
and fight those whom he would show us. What like was this man, said Sir Thomas, my master? An ordinary man enough, said the fellow, grey of head and also clad in grey, but with armour that rattled beneath his clothes. Then we looked at one another and remembered the dying words of Black Peter. It was, it was the grey man. Once more such a man had crossed the luck of Cassilis. By what golden key he had bribed the warders and opened his majesty's toll-booth we knew not, but assuredly he had clean beaten us from the field. Nevertheless, I was much cheered to hear on the next day that the name of Lancelot Kennedy, called of Kiriok, or Lancelot of the Spurs, was among those that were put to the horn, or in plain words declared rebel and outlaw at the cross of Edinburgh. For I knew that Nell Kennedy would never flout me more. Even fair Marjorie would, perhaps, not disdain speech with me now, and might perchance let me walk by her side in the garden some summer evening. End of chapter 6